Really glad you're here this morning. We we're in a message series this second week that we're calling Hometowns, which we're just using that image, that idea of a hometown, really to talk about what God wants from a church community. Last week we talked about the move from uh, rural country life to the city that's been going on throughout the world over the last several hundred years. And I'd like to share something with you from my my upbringing. We watched this show in the 60s every week that I can remember. And so here's an intro to the 60s sitcom Green Acres. Just give me that countryside. New York is where I'd rather stay. I get allergic smelling hay. I just adore a penthouse view. Darling, I love you, but give me Park Avenue. The chores. The stores. Fresh air. Times Square. You are my wife. All right, forcing you to listen to that <laughs> has a purpose. I don't know about you, but that music just sort of... Um, but anyway, this was usually what you find on TV and in the movies. It, it reflects what's going on in the society around us. And this is what's been happening. People have been moving from the country to the city, and some who are in the city long to be in the country. People have different takes on... Uh, what they want to do with a small town or with a small community. Some in the city want to move there. Maybe they've never been to one or have a romantic idea of it. Some uh, who grew up in a small town, I've met a lot of these folks, that just, they just want to get out of there and hope they never have to go back. So there's mixed reactions to small towns. Um, and we're looking at how... The church community is designed by God to be a place where we want to take part, where we want to join in. We want to be together. We want to be a community that really loves and supports one another. We started this series by looking at where this longing for a hometown comes from. It's a desire that this, this desire for a community to be with a larger group of people to walk through life with them, it reflects the way we were made by God. It reflects the image of God in us. And we we talked about how God is uh, three persons and one being not like us, hard, hard concept to understand, but he himself is someone who has experienced community from the beginning, which there was no beginning to God. So all of that blows our minds. But what it is, what it shows us is that God himself 
made us to be people who long to live in community the right way because it reflects who He is. Our, our Maker is a relational God, and He put this desire for a hometown community in us. And so, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how a person gets inside the city limits of the hometown called uh, the church, uh, and then what are the characteristic ways that we should find, the ways of relating and, and the atmosphere that we should find in the small town. Uh, the, the city limits of the church hometown are not found on a map. You're not going to find them there. They're, they're relational. And they, they, they start with a relationship with God, but then that begins to affect our relationship to the people around us. You get inside the city limits based on a relationship with God, and then that begins to shape the way that you live, the way that you talk, the way that you think, the way that you act toward other people. You know, people from different cities, different regions of the country, they they have similar ways, patterns of speech, phrases they use, levels of friendliness. I mean, I, I know... Uh, we're we're kind of laid back in California, but we're not we're not always the warmest place to be in terms of relationships. New York, very different approach. Middle of the country, a lot friendlier. They use phrases like "y'all" and "fixin' to," which means I'm getting ready to do something. But "fixin' to," you know, I'm fixin' to do this. Um, and they use, they use different phrases. They're distinct. I, I was in Fort Worth for graduate school, Fort Worth, Texas, and I never could bring myself to say y'all. A lot of people around there do. Y'all. I, I said you all. Because the first time I said, I, I talked to some ladies who, and used the phrase you guys, it didn't make sense to them. I could tell by the look on their face. What? Yeah. We are women. We are not guys. So I learned to say you all. I, I just couldn't bring myself to, to, to say y'all. Uh, we're we're going to look at two basic things today. How you get inside the city limits of, of the church hometown and then the ways of relating we learn as we walk with God, as we continue to stay connected to God and to the church community. Some of the ways we learn in uh, growing in our relationship to God and to one another. So the Bible shows that the church hometown is filled with people born again into God's family. Here's a passage from 1 Peter, where the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers early on, he's writing to a church and he's describing who they are. And his goal in describing who they are is to remind them of their identity and how their identity, who they are in relation to God, should shape their attitude toward one another, toward the persecution, suffering that they're experiencing. So he's, he gives them a reminder that really fosters a great deal of gratitude for those of us who know the Lord. So here's 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
According to His great mercy, He has caused us, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice that phrase. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. It's God who caused this. It, this, this. This being born again is from Him. It's not something we can manufacture ourselves. Peter is one of Jesus' closest followers while He was here on earth, as I said. And in using the phrase born again, He's thinking back to a conversation that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was uh, a religious man, uh, very high status in the Jewish culture in Jerusalem. And he came to Jesus at night one time, incognito. He didn't want any of the other guys to see him, sneaking around, trying to figure out what Jesus was saying about life and God and all of that. And so he came to Jesus and he, he starts a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus immediately tells him, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Now, what if, what if somebody said that to you? What would you do? Nicodemus did what I would likely do. Hey, hey how can a man <laughs> go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Okay, wow. How does that happen? Nobody wants to do that a second time. You know, I, I, I wouldn't. I've seen a couple of births. It was traumatic. That's rough. Rougher on my wife, Cindy, I know, but um, definitely rough. Nobody wants to do that twice, uh, personally. In, in, in clearing up the confusion, though, as Nicodemus is trying to figure out what in the world does it mean to be born again. Jesus went on to explain that he's talking about, he's giving a spiritual image. He's giving a, a metaphor of a spiritual truth that you can be completely changed and you can get a completely fresh start in life as you trust me with your life, as you learn to believe in me, as you choose to believe in me and trust me, life radically changes. You get a whole new start with God. So he goes on and explains this. And this is where Jesus, it's in this conversation with Nicodemus that Jesus speaks one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. John 3:16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. This, this John 3:16 is is one of the most quoted passages of Scripture in the Bible. And it's an explanation of what it takes to be born again. That word believe 
in this passage. It, it means that you believe Jesus to the point that you trust him with everything you are, everything you have, your past, your present, your future, and then you're born again. This, this is the context of this passage, this verse. At the very moment that we make the choice to believe this way, we are born into a new spiritual family. And we become a part of the spiritual hometown called the church. That's what we're calling it. In a universal sense, in the way our society is, when, when Jesus' followers were first putting churches together, uh, there weren't many options. So there was like one city, one church. In, in our world, there are, there are all kinds of churches that you could go to in our cities. There's several here in Diamond Bar and in, in the surrounding cities. So what happens is you're born into uh, the universal, in a universal sense, the family of God when you decide to believe and trust Jesus with your life. But you have to keep choosing. You have to choose to be a part of a local church. And that's really what we're talking about here, the, the local community and what God wants it to be like inside of that, that local church. It's a spiritual reality that's reflected in the way we relate. You won't find it on a map, as I said. So what we see next, as Peter continues in 1 Peter, he says, our new birth brings a new identity and new desires. Being born into God's family changes everything. It just, it just rearranges our insides and it shows up on the outside. God becomes personal to us. He actually, we understand, is when you're born again, when you decide to believe Jesus and trust your life to him, his spirit comes and lives inside of you. The flesh, the Bible calls the flesh, our old ways and our old nature, it's still there. But the Holy Spirit lives in us and gives us a whole new desire to, to live and change in a different, and live in a different way. God becomes very personal to us in, the, in this way. One passage in the Bible explains that it's by God's Spirit that we can call God Abba, which is an Aramaic word for dad. This is, this is, so he's not just this distant God anymore who created the world. He is our dad. That's a very personal word, daddy or dad. That's, that's who God becomes, and we're changed. And so Peter describes this new dynamic in verses 14 and 17 as obedient children. We're now children of God if we believed in Christ. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy... So you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you should be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Look again at the phrase, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You know, kids who love their parents... They want to obey their parents. They imitate them. They want to be like them. We have a couple of old cell phones 
that our grandkids, they love to play with the cell phones because they're imitating. They're acting like their mom and dad. You know, hey, how's it going? They, they, they use those. And so that, that's because kids who have loving parents, they want to, they want to imitate them. And that's what Peter's saying here is we've been born again by the mercy of God into his family. And as obedient children, we should say no to the old ways and passions and desires and yes to the new ways and, and the ways that reflect him. Our default mode is to fall back into our old ways, which the Bible calls the flesh. But when we trust Christ, as I said, we get this new desire. The word ignorance here is used because we can be so unaware of the awful pain and damage that comes from doing life our own way apart from God. We're so, we're so familiar, so familiar to us that we don't even recognize what's happening. And after coming to Christ, God's Spirit makes you aware of wrong desires, words, and deeds. And so sometimes if you, if you decide to follow Christ, it, you, you, you're a little confused because at first it's like, I'm forgiven before God. Thank you for your mercy, God. And you're sort of on a, a honeymoon, you're just floating along, and then reality strikes, and you, in, in many ways, you're still the same person who can fall back into the old ways. This is confusing. This, this is, creates a struggle. Um, and so we, we see where we need to draw hope from in this passage, and I'll get to it in a moment. But the goal and the reason we struggle is this is also built into us. It says in, in the next passage, in, well, in verse 15, it says, As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you should be holy, for I am holy. This is one of the most used phrases of who God is. God is holy. But what, what does it mean to be holy? There are several facets to that word. One of, the, one of the nuances to the word holy is it means that you're set apart to be used for God's purpose. That's one of the things it means to be holy. Um, you're devoted to be used by God as you live your life. So this is this is a goes back to Leviticus, the very first part of the Bible, first five books of the Bible, Leviticus eleven forty five. Says, uh, I since I am your God, you should be holy as I am holy. This is this is something we're called to if we follow Christ. If we have given our lives to him, this is what we're aiming to do with our lives to be we're we're trying to be set apart devoted to be used by God as we live our lives another nuance of the word holy is to be pure and morally blameless so that that is uh intimidating <laughs> to be morally blameless that's 
That's the goal. That's what we're aiming for. Um, holiness doesn't mean we're perfect or expect ourselves to be perfect, but we aim for holiness to be more and more like our dad. And since God's Spirit is making us more and more aware of when we're not holy, it can be very defeating and discouraging. And so we have to go back to that very first phrase that we looked at in verse First Peter uh, 1, 3. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. This is important to understand. This, this flows from His mercy, His grace. It's, it's nothing that we have done in and of ourselves. We were not born again because we were holy or because we reached a certain level of perfection. That would be agonizing to have to figure out what level of moral blame, blamelessness do I have to reach in order to be born again? Where is that? You know, well, some people say 80%, some people 50, some, you know, 51%. So it, that would be agonizing, but no. God, because He loves you and I, if you'll just believe in Jesus Christ and trust Him with your life, He will cause you out of His great mercy to be born again. And so as we wrestle with, I know what God wants, but here's what I tend to do and say. Here's what I think. You go back to God's mercy. And you draw from it the strength to keep aiming for holiness. To keep aiming to live God's way. As God's mercy sinks deeper into our heart, we are changed. It's not by our own effort. But it's as His mercy sinks into our heart, we're changed. And it's His grace and and gratitude for it that motivates us to be like Him. This is why we want to be holy. Because he, He is holy and He loves us. And He's been so merciful to us. Look again at the last verse in this passage. And if you call upon Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So here's, here's another just instruction on what it means when you're born into God's family. You live in a certain way with a certain perspective every day. And fear of God is a part of that perspective. To fear God in the Bible means that you take Him so seriously that you live inside His boundaries for living that He set for life. That's what it means to fear God. You respect Him. It's a respect. It's not like a fear, like I'm going to be squashed. It's, I respect God so much, I realize He's watching what I'm doing, and because I respect and love Him, I'm going to stay inside of His boundaries. So being mindful of this, I change the way I live. You, you realize that he's watching and he's going to respond like any good father would respond. He, he's going to discipline you when you step out of bounds, when you step out of line. He's, he's going to, out of love, 
help you, help arrange your life and the circumstances of your life to grow you and change you. And knowing that parents, you know, kids, they, they want, they want to know that there's a boundary. When they run up against a boundary, there's security. When there's no boundaries from parents in, in a relationship with a child, they're, they, they're, they're jittery. They, they, they don't know. So they want appropriate, you know, kind, gracious, loving, firm boundaries because that, that gives security. And we, we can know the same thing as we live our lives. God is going to hold a boundary. If, if you're a Christ follower who's been born again into God's family, then he is going to hold the boundary. Notice the other phrase there, throughout the time of your exile. Interesting thought, isn't it? And what the perspective is, actually, through this first chapter of 1 Peter, he, he refers in, in verse 2 to them as elect exiles. So he starts out, when he addresses this church, he calls them exiles. And the reason he does is, once we become a part of God's family, our home is in another place. It's, it's in heaven. So we're, we're here still, and we live here, but heaven is now our home. And so this, this hometown of the church is designed to be shaped by that reality. That spiritual reality shapes the way we live and the way we treat one another and the way we handle life. Because now that we're a part, the church is designed to be a colony of heaven. You know, we're not, it's not heaven, okay? Definitely not heaven. If you hang around a little bit, you know, okay, this is not heaven. But as you learn to relate more like God would want you to relate, you get a taste of what heaven's going to be like. As you have trouble, as you struggle with life... People come alongside of you, they help you, they encourage you. That's a little taste of what it should be. And that, that's what the church is designed to be. A little colony of heaven. So, this guides the way that we treat one another. And, you know, we, we hope that when new folks come around Church in the Valley, that they are welcome and begin to experience what God intends for relationships. This is... God's design for the church. As I said, different towns and cities tend to have different norms and patterns of speech that people follow. If you're a newcomer, you might sense the attitude in a city. You know, if I were a city guy, Californian, land of the fruits and nuts, you know, I heard, I've heard that a lot in other parts of the country. Oh, you're from California, land of the fruits and nuts. Thank you for that. Um, but if I were to go to a, a city then there would be things about the way I talk and the way I relate that people would immediately begin to identify, you're not from around here, are you? And, and this, is, this is sort of, if, you're, if you choose to be holy, and I don't mean this in a holier-than-thou sense, but if you choose to live God's ways, it becomes apparent at work, in your neighborhood, among your friends, among your extended family, you begin to you begin to relate differently 
and it's in a good way. But there's a difference. Um, I'd like to show you a video clip from Thor, who was a new guy in a small town, uh, trying to get used to a different way of life. Just for fun, let's, let's look at this, because I think it's, it illustrates something I want to talk about. How'd you get inside that cloud? Also, how could you eat an entire box of Pop-Tarts and still be this hungry? This drink, I like it. I know, it's great, right? Another! Sorry, Izzy, a little accident. What was that? It was delicious. I want another. Well, you could have just said so. I just did. No, I mean, ask nicely. I meant no disrespect. All right, well, no more smashing. Deal? Not my wood. Good. All right. You could tell, you know, after... On his planet, <laughs> he was royalty. You know, hey, give me another. That's awesome. That's good stuff. So, they, you know, they, it became apparent that he's not from around there. Um, he's from another planet. And he has some different ways about him. He looks human, but there's some different ways about him. This is how it should be with us Christians. We're humans, but there should be different ways of relating. There, there should be different ways of living because God is our dad. He's our father. And we want to be obedient children. God's children have common patterns of speech, ways of thinking, ways of relating, just like other hometowns. These are rooted in the mercy and grace of the living God who caused us to be born again and gave us a fresh start in doing so. I'd like to look at some of these characteristic ways of our hometown as we wrap up here. Uh, these, these are the things that shape our patterns of speech and shape the ways of thinking in a colony of heaven here in the church community. And you, you can do these and still say y'all or you all or you guys, whatever you want to say. That, that's, not the, that's not the point. But these are patterns that should shape us. The first characteristic is grace-filled speech. I'm not going to quote the passages there. But they talk about letting, uh, Ephesians 4.29 says, let, let grace be the motivation behind the words that you use to build people up, not tear them down. That our Colossians 4 says that our speech should be seasoned with grace. And this goes back to that passage. According to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again. So it's grace-filled speech that fills the air as we relate to the people around us. We've been born again by the mercy and grace of God, so it's grace that should fill our words, our minds, our deeds as we relate and, want to, and work together. And this, this creates a, an atmosphere where people are built up. It's friendly and hospitable. Folks are welcome. We can belong. We don't always have to keep our guard up waiting for the next jab to come at us. Second characteristic is righteousness. To be righteous means... As you're handling life situations, 
You're thinking about what's right before God. That's your number one concern. If you're a righteous person, doesn't mean uh, as much. It does mean it does reflect in the way you live. But the reason it does is because you're thinking about what is right. What would God want me to do in this situation? And so you're handling life from his perspective. And because you know that all of life is open before God and that he's watching what we say and do, you try to please him. Try to please dad in the way that you relate. We have some core relational values here at Church of the Valley that are called the heart attitudes. And these heart attitudes help us become the place that God wants us to be. Our members commit to these things. One of the hard attitudes is to live an honest and open life before others. This is motivated by uh, just realizing that God is watching. God, he sees all that's going on. All are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So we know this. And since God's paying attention, I want to live my life from his perspective. Proverbs 11, 9, and 10, which is the passage next to that point there, says, an unrighteous man destroys his neighbor with selfish words and schemes. In contrast, a pattern of righteousness in relating grows trust and people are helped and encouraged because we're, we're relating to them like God, like our dad, who's impartial and judges all impartially. Third characteristic is justice. Members of God's family love justice. To be just means to do what's right before people. So you're, you're trying righteous, what's right in this situation before God. Just means that I'm trying to do what's right toward the people that I'm working with here or relating to in this situation. Uh, the just don't cut corners. For selfish reasons, for a selfish advantage. They desire to right wrongs where possible. The way our world is, things are wrong with it. And we try to make things right when they go wrong. This makes life inside the city limits of the hometown called the church really good. If we are just toward one another. Here at Church and Valley, we know we're going to offend each other. We're going to disappoint each other. A part of justice is making it right whenever wrongs happen. And so another hard attitude that we commit to here at Church in the Valley is to clear up relationships with one another when they're messed up. They're going to get messed up. We're people. We're human. And so we commit to clearing things up when they get messed up, when there's misunderstandings, when there's things wrong. Another characteristic way of our hometown called the church is loving kindness. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4 says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Steadfast love in this passage is a, it's a particular Hebrew word. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, and it's kesed, which is not a good Hebrew pronunciation, but 
that's the transliteration of that word. It's, it's a very strong word. It's always used of God's love toward us. It's a mixture of uh, unfailing love and kindness. This is how God relates to us. This is what's reflected in 1 Peter 1, 3. It's this, it's this mixture of unfailing love, loyal, faithful love that shows kindness. And this is a picture of what God's done for us in causing us to be born again. Because we were in a predicament. We rebelled against God. We were separated from Him by that rebellion. And in His kindness, He stooped down in the person of Jesus Christ and made a way for us to be born again. He made a way for us to get back into a relationship with God. To be a part of His family. And that completely changes everything. So if we're going to be like Dad, we choose loving kindness in the way that we relate to people. We, we show love to them. Our attitude number one at Church in the Valley is put the goals and interests above, of others above my own. And that's what it means to really love. That's a practical definition of love. I set aside my concerns for a moment. I don't let them go. I don't let my responsibilities go. But I set them aside and I, I focus on what you need, what would help you right now. That, that's love. And so that's, that's what we aim for. Proverbs also tells us that faithfulness is crucial as we relate to one another. It can be easy to go slack in commitments because we're focused on our own stuff. But faithfulness means that when we say something, when we say we'll do something, when we make a promise, we fulfill it, even if it hurts. And so this is, this is what we aim for. The, these are the ways that should fill our hometown community of Church in the Valley. This, this is what God wants from us. I went to Orlando a couple weeks ago, and I, since it's not very humid here, I've been in humidity, but often... Uh, forget what it's like when we stepped off the plane into the jetway there in Orlando. I immediately remembered you can feel the air. You're walking into the air as you go. The things that we're talking about here, these these characteristics, they should fill the air so that we can feel God's love. We can grace filled speech. It, it creates an atmosphere that we can really enjoy. And this is what God intends in our hometown. God wants us all to experience the good life inside the city limits of his church community. In this relational hometown that we call the church. And our goal in this series is for all of us to think about this, appreciate it. If you're in it and experiencing it, be grateful for what God's done. If if you're, if you're coming on in, we want to encourage you to take the appropriate steps at, at the right, at the, at your pace when you're ready to make them, but take steps into the church community. Consider what, what's your next step? I'd like to wrap up the message this morning by asking you to think through a couple of next steps. I've, I've written down a couple of steps that you could take. Here on, they're on the back of the connection card. They're also at the bottom of the listening guide. The first step that you could take 
If you haven't ever decided to follow Christ or believed in Him, trusted your life to Him, for the first time, I will accept Jesus as my Savior and commit to follow Him as Lord. And then a second step would be to identify a hometown characteristic that I need to make a part of my life. Maybe there's something there that God's spoken to you about that you'd like to take a step toward. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth that we see in your word and how it helps us to live uh, for your purpose. And I pray that, God, you'd give us the power to take the steps that you've laid on our heart to take today and that you would be pleased as we set out to follow you and live like you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Thank you.